It is our custom to stand for the reading of the word. I'm going to tell you all, you don't need to stand because you have instruments, right? Choir, if you want to stand and join us, congregation, I invite you to stand as we read the word of God this morning. Our scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 2. I'll be reading. When Mary and Joseph had completed everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to their hometown, Nazareth, in Galilee. The child grew, this would be Jesus, the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and God's favor was on him. Each year his parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to their custom. After the festival was over, they were returning home, but the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know it. Supposing that he was among their band of travelers, they journeyed on for a full day while looking for Jesus among their family and friends. When they didn't find Jesus, they returned to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days of looking, they found him in the temple. He was sitting among the teachers, listening to them and putting questions to them. Everyone who heard him was amazed by his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were what? Right, we get that. The word of God. Thank you, you can be seated. And we thank you, La Sierra Academy. This is the Sabbath we look forward to all year. This particular church birthed with, right alongside La Sierra Academy and La Sierra University in 1922. Church family, the largest check you write every month goes to make sure our academy stays strong. That's a $14,000 check and ain't nobody messing with it. It's gonna be there. We are one of 16 churches that loves these students, and so it is a special, special Sabbath for us when you're at this church, and we thank you. Are you getting tired, by the way, of performing yet all around the world? A little bit, a little bit. It's almost Christmas break. A teaching from Luke Luke chapter two this morning. Jesus and his family know this journey well. The text says they're going for Passover, but they would go several other times per year. We could imagine four times a year, Jesus, as a boy, as a toddler and a little boy and as a teenager, makes this journey with his family to Jerusalem. They know where the path is comfortable and calm, and they know where the path turns rocky and rough. They know when they turn a corner where the path will climb a a hill, and they know where it will drop off. They know where to be careful because there are bandits hiding around or thieves hiding around a corner. They know where the water wells have been dug along the way because they can't possibly carry enough water for everyone. They also know which neighbors have become neighborly. All of them from Jesus' village traveling together, the young and the old and, well, the donkeys carrying their supplies and the ones who are too weak to make the journey. We can imagine Jesus as a boy with his family making this pilgrimage. And along the way, a song breaks out. Listen, we're not the ones to invent um, a playlist for a road trip. That like way predates us. Jesus and his parents and all the aunties and the uncles, a song breaks out while they're on the way to Jerusalem. I don't know what's your playlist in your car when you're traveling. Think about that for a minute. What's your playlist? And I imagine the generations have some things to say. When we were kids, we had a rule. Well, it was more like an arrangement. My father, had, my father was in charge. 
When we were kids, the first thing we did on a trip, it doesn't matter if it's four hours or four weeks in the summertime in a car or in a motorhome, my father's in charge of the music for the first part of the journey. Listen, this is his playlist. This is, I can only do a few minutes of the song, and don't email me later if you're disgusted and we're in church listening to this. It's gonna be fine. <laughs> See if you recognize this, Mr. Coffee. Because it's when you get to the end of these measures, it's Tijuana Brass. About four more measures. And then my father would tense up. father would just tense up when he knew that part's coming, that part's coming, and then there would be that noise. And he would, the whole car would laugh with his body. He just loved Herb Alpert and this Tijuana Brass. And we had to listen to the entire cassette. Cassette? Cassette? Can you do eight track? I do believe, my father was a car guy, he loved cars, and I do believe one of the large cars we drove on vacation had an eight track. The whole thing, Herb Alpert and the brass, and then you'd get to that part and he'd laugh and then my brother would be making all the bodily noises on his arm and that was the playlist. What's your playlist? Now tell the truth, what's your playlist? You've got one, right? You've got your own arrangements. Are you classic rock? Are you um, lyric, lyricless classical music? Are you Beatles? What's that? Some of you are answering. You're telling the truth. Are you Del Delker? <laughs> I talked to someone this week whose favorite musician of all time is Del Delker. Maybe that's you. Your heritage singers in Del Delker and the Wedgwood Trio. What's your trio? What's your playlist? Are you Abba and Billy Joel and the Beatles, Taylor Swift, Garth Brooks? Am I getting warmer in your territory? Carrie Underwood, Ariana Grande, Ed Sheeran, Bruno Mars, Beyonce? No, Selena Gomez? You need a boy band? Somebody needs NSYNC? <laughs> What's your playlist? It doesn't take long when you're traveling before somebody reaches for the music, right? And it's like that for Jesus and his relatives on the path to Jerusalem. It was like that for the pastors this week. We cooked food the first couple days of the weeks for the retirees in our crowd. This is some of the pastors on Monday across the street. We're making samosas. That's a 25-pound bag of flour. We ran out. We had to go to the store and get more. That's how much food we were creating. But it didn't take long before gathered around that table. Like People just had to sing. Some people had to sing. Listen. Was 
he wasn't big. That was the last song, he wasn't big. Poor Anthony's like leaning, we told Anthony, we gotta get you like a trailer to stand on. He's leaning way over. Kirby heard that song, he said, why would you ever play that in church? We sound terrible. You see, Pastor Vaughn having none of it. Usually it doesn't take long on the journey before someone wants to break out in song. We break out in song to pass the time, to make it more fun, to entertain ourselves. Sometimes we break out in song to work on it, to process the journey. That's what happens to Jesus and his families and the Jews from his village. They're carrying all of it with them to Jerusalem this day. So while they're on the path, they break out in song. In your Bible, in the book of Psalms, from about Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, those would be the songs they'd sing on their treks to Jerusalem. Maybe they'd make this trip three, four times a year on this trek, carrying all, by the way, look at the map and look at how far this journey If you can imagine, Jesus lives up in the top with his family, and this is by foot, thank you Google Maps, 31 hours, 32 hours. With grandma and grandpa and aunties and babies, you're gonna sleep on the trail a couple of nights. With them, they carry their weariness. With them, they carry their worries. With them, they they pray and sing about ordinary life because they have families and relationships. They're business partners. They live in close quarters in their city, but they also have boundaries and borders where there are enemies just on the other side. They go to Jerusalem not as an assignment. They go to Jerusalem not because if they don't, God will punish them or because somehow they're more pious than others. They go to Jerusalem because they can't imagine a better place. Jerusalem is where they're safe. Jerusalem is where God lives. They carry with them all of the trauma because they hope in Jerusalem they'll find refuge and safety and in Jerusalem maybe unsettled cases from home will see justice. And so on the path, they sing. From Psalm 120, the song breaks out. I cried out to the Lord. Let me read you lyric from several of their different songs. Imagine all of them chanting together. I cried out to the Lord when I was in trouble, and he answered me. Lord, deliver me from lying lips. Those would be my neighbors who tell lies, my neighbors who are dishonest. I'm doomed because I'm an immigrant from Meshech, because I've made my home in Kedar's tents. I've lived far too long with people who hate peace. I'm for peace, but when I speak of peace, they want war. From Psalm 121, I raise my eyes toward the mountains where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. God won't let your foot slip, they sing. God, our protector, won't fall asleep on the job. The Lord will protect you on your journeys, whether you're coming or going from now until from forever from now. Mm-hmm. Psalm 124, if the Lord hadn't been for us, let Israel now repeat. By the way, those of us who get tired of praise songs repeating, did you hear this? If the Lord hadn't been for us, let Israel now repeat. If the Lord hadn't been for us when these people attacked us, when they would have swallowed us up whole with their rage burning against us, bless the Lord because he didn't hand us over like food for our enemies' teeth. Our help is in the Lord. From Psalm 127, finally they start singing about their children because I imagine they're stepping on them and they're noisy and maybe people are getting on one another's nerves. So they sing about their children. Bless the Lord. 
No, yes, bless the Lord because he didn't keep going. No doubt about it, children are a gift from the Lord, Psalm 127. Children are from the fruit of the womb. It's a divine reward. The children born when one is young are like arrows in a hand of a warrior. The person who fills a quiver full of children is truly happy. They won't be disarmed when ashamed when arguing with their enemies at the gate. They won't have time to argue with their enemies at the gate if they have a quiver full of children. They keep singing, my hope, our hope is in the Lord. My whole being hopes and I wait for God's promise. My whole being waits for the Lord more than the night watch waits for morning. Yes, more than the night watch waits for the morning. And finally, when they arrive in Jerusalem, they sing from Psalm 122. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Sound familiar, church? We sing this song, we say this psalm in church sometimes. This is the moment the boy Jesus and his family have arrived and they say, let's go to the house of the Lord. Now our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem built like a city, joined together in unity. Pray that Jerusalem has peace. Let those who love you have rest. Let there be peace on your walls, Jerusalem. Let there be rest in your fortifications, Jerusalem. For the sake of my family and friends, I say, peace be with you, Jerusalem. More than any other theme, peace is the one that emerges when Jesus and his family and all the pilgrims over the centuries as they travel to Jerusalem, peace is the theme that bubbles to the top. A longing for peace, waiting for peace, a hoping for peace. Peace is that large word. Pastor Sam talked about it last week. It takes us many words in English to come close to biblical peace, shalom, the word in our Bible. We have to put a lot of words together, wholeness and wellness and harmony and tranquility and oneness, oneness with each other, oneness with God. And the list goes on and on and on so that in the Bible when someone would say, peace be with you, what they mean is wellness be with you. Wholeness be with you. God be with you. May it be well with you. It's a relationship word. May it go well in your relationships with each other and with God. It's why we say around this church, be well. Be well is a prayer for shalom and peace. A longing for peace. It turns out in the Bible that the opposite of peace is not war, it's chaos and they long for an absence of chaos in their lives. Jesus gets to the temple, he begins learning, well, he begins teaching. We, as we read the story, his parents can't find them. You see the map, they travel back home, they travel back, that's a lot of days they're separate from Jesus. You imagine the anxiety, right? We had a party once when the girls were in middle school and we collected all these kids from a sleepover, put them in the car. We just had to drive a mile and a half to hike up Blue Mountain just in our backyard, but we put all these kids in the car, got to the base of the mountain. I started counting heads. We're missing one. It's not our kid, so Kirby and I look at each other, well, where's the other kid? I thought you had them all. I thought you had them all. I thought you had them all. We drive back to the house. There is one fifth grader standing in the living room. Ah! She's just standing all by herself. We made a deal with her that she not tell her parents <laughs> everything that happened at the party. 
Can you imagine you're Jesus' parents, You've, your, your child is gone for three, four, five days? And when they find him, he says, didn't you know? No, we didn't know, Jesus. In fact, the story ends that way. Mary walks away perplexed and she holds these things in their heart. But please hear that that's the particular ending to this chapter of the story. They go back home going, what in the world just happened? Jesus is teaching the religious leaders about peace. He will grow to become the man that will stand in his synagogue one day and his first sermon will be of peace. He paints for them a picture of the time the lame will walk and the blind will see and prisoners will no longer be in jail. Don't you get it, mom and dad? No, we don't. They long for peace. It is the boy Jesus on his trips to Jerusalem who sings these words. I long for peace, but when I talk about peace, they want war. Advent is our time to catch this vision again, church, the vision of peace. It's the time where we come to the concerts and we sit still in the sanctuary and we turn down the lights and we light the candles and we listen to the lyric. Come this afternoon at four o'clock, there is so much more wonderful music. I didn't think I wanted a funeral until last night, and I'm like, now I want a funeral because I want Dr. Rodriguez and Dr. Kimo Smith like at either side of the piano playing when I die. Like, that. how beautiful was that? <laughs> you think it's morbid, but it was beautiful. <laughs> I'm coming at four o'clock for that moment. This is Advent, we, we come. We make our trips to our own temple, our own sanctuary. It is true, we've been saying now for a few weeks, we can get all the way from Thanksgiving to Christmas and not get messy, spiritually speaking. We can do the concerts and the parties and the elephant, white elephant gifts. We can do the cider and the eggnog and all of the things. My neighbor on Wednesday said to me, are you ready for the holidays? I said, could you stop it? It's December 5. Well, it's coming, you know. I know it's because you just stop talking about it. So you adjust the reindeer and the snowflakes and the baby Jesus and all of the things from Luke chapter two are on his front lawn. So he says to me, well, when would you like me to ask you about it? I said, five o'clock on December 24. <laughs> all right, we made a deal, the guy across the street because there's so many things for the holidays. It is possible to do all the things and not get messy spiritually, not sit still in Advent and remember again the vision for peace. When all people are to be whole and well. So church, take one small task for peace this week. Last week, Pastor Sam said to us, hey, we could forgive. That means to draw a line on pain given. We don't have to return pain. That's an Advent task. I'm saying this week, draw one more line, work on one piece of chaos. Some of it will be simple. Hey, follow up on a thing someone's been waiting for. Connect a couple of people that will make their lives easier. Some of this is very simple, but some of it is not. It's internal and deep while I was sitting at cafe this week waiting for an appointment and the rain was coming down heavy on Thursday. In wanders a man and another woman and they've got four or five shopping bags full of things and they sit down and they start to dry off and I overhear the conversation and they've been 
washed out of the riverbed where they live and where they sleep. And they begin to imagine where they're gonna go that night. I no longer have any concern at all when I eavesdrop these conversations. I want them to be whole and well. I don't care about their lives. I don't care about their choices and their circumstances. They're God's children. They deserve a dry place to sleep tonight. They deserve it. They've done nothing. Washed away are their sleeping bags and tents, and, but there are other problems. God is still working with me. There are some people that I wonder And I'm not sure based on some of the decisions they've made and the abuse they've caused, if God wants them well, maybe Advent is the time God will work deep inside of you and me. All people deserve to be well. Maybe Advent is the time, teenagers, where you will dream some kind of peace that the adults have told you is not possible. You just ignore the adults because the Spirit will give you a vision and a task and a work for peace that the rest of us grown-ups will say, that's not possible. You ignore us. You pay attention to the Spirit. There are things on your campus and in this community you will do for peace that the adults in this room would never attempt, and isn't that beautiful? See, my greatest fear when I come to Advent is this church. I get anxious. I get anxious as a person I get anxious as a resident in my community. I get a little anxious as a citizen in our nation. I get anxious as a citizen of our world. I get anxious as a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I get anxious because I wonder if we've abandoned the visions of peace, if we think it's just not possible. So we give up. Because peace would happen if you do your part and I do my part and you all do your part, but we know not everyone's gonna do their part, so we give up. And we become victims sort of in our own world and we enjoy our little bit of holiday goodness, but we don't hope for much more. That could not be farther from any vision of the prophets or from our Jesus himself. I long for peace, Jesus said on the path to Jerusalem. I cry peace while others cry for war. May God give us a deeper longing for peace this Advent. It's James Kay who says this, Princeton Theological Seminary. The message of Advent is that we can never take our own predictions more seriously than God's promises. When we least expect it, when there's no evidence for it, God's power comes in ways we could never forecast or imagine. So I'm praying we don't take our own predictions more seriously than God's promises. I'm praying we get a little messy this Advent. I'm praying like Jesus' mom and dad, even when we can't see it, that we trust there is a peace possible and we reach. This week we saw this little video I wanna show you. These students from Paradise Adventist Academy, they are rehearsing for their Christmas concert.
Those are kids from the burnt out town of paradise. Eight of those students and their families lost everything. And their teacher sitting at the piano has no home. And somehow, they're able to show up in their makeshift school, which is Chico Adventist Church for now, and they're able to find the song, all is calm, all is bright, sleep in heavenly peace. May God grant us that kind of courage to reach deep for Advent peace. Amen.